Listen to Red Voices and a very warm welcome to you. My name's Ewan Lennox. Thank you for joining us as Manchester United started their season with a 2-1 Super Cup defeat to Real Madrid, which is fine because it's a poor man's community shield and we didn't want to win it anyway. Kev Thomas joins me tonight to discuss tonight's game and United's preparations for a massive season ahead. Kev, how's it going? Yeah, not bad, man. How are you doing? Long time. Yeah, it's been several months. I think the last time we spoke was after a particularly dispiriting, I mean, we could have said that about so many games last season, draw with Swansea. (laughs) Thankfully, meeting in slightly, you know, not ideal circumstances after tonight's defeat. But yeah, uh, fairly positive, I guess, for the season ahead, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think we were ever going to learn a huge amount tonight about you know, necessarily what our performance level would be in the season to come. Um, I, I honestly thought we would set it up to be a lot more uh, pragmatic than we ultimately did. I mean, I know we were in a kind of a 4-5-1 when defending shape, but um, considering there was all sorts of whispers about, you know, three at the back or five across the back and, and, and not playing a very expansive game at all, uh, the fact that we lined up with what appeared to be a, a 4-5-1 come 4-3-3 um, was practically uh yeah practically assertive from Mourinho as opposed to reactive um so it was in that respect I guess you could say maybe there was little elements of it being still kind of a preseason game thrown into it um um and and I guess something we'll touch on as we get a little bit further into it but there was a there was a certain lack of intensity throughout the whole game so it was good to see that we weren't uh, absolutely blown off the park um by a incredible Real Madrid side and despite the fact that they could have been a number of goals ahead at different points we we almost equalized um it, it it'll be interesting to see what this tells us going forward but certainly signs for optimism yeah I'd agree with that I mean let's simply get right into discussing tonight's game then um bit of uh, the first half was not excellent viewing you know I think it was very difficult to take away Madrid's lead Casemiro with struck the crossbar not long before he got that goal lovely ball from uh, Carvajal I think it was uh, suspicion of offside but you know United ideally arguably should have done quite a bit better with the uh, with the defending and the cross and perhaps a little bit on the goalkeeping side of things in that goal but still um, yeah and it was the only real performers that stood out in that first half were essentially Matic and Valencia you know we'll talk a bit more about Matic perhaps in a bit more depth later on but I thought he had a great night you know he and Valencia were playing particularly well. Valencia doing his normal superhuman efforts down the right flank, uh, whether United were defending or attacking, which is always great to see, delivering a few dangerous balls. And it took really until we went 2-0 down for United to properly get going, I'd say. Certainly some positive elements in that second half. But Real started, uh, came out after the break in particularly fine form and looking particularly dangerous. And United just didn't seem to have an answer. And I think it it showed that we didn't have defenders who you would... I mean, well, out of the, say, the three players who were essentially playing centre-back out of the three-five-two, which was, what, Darmian and Smalling and Lindelof, you could see that there certainly wasn't 
that was certainly wasn't our first choice defensive lineup. You know, one of the three of them you could perhaps make a case for ending up in the in the starting lineup going forward when Mourinho has everyone fit and firing. And that was clearly evident on a few occasions. But on the flip side of that, Kev, some reasons for uh, optimism, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, uh, you've got to shape what our expectations could realistically have been going into this game. I mean, it, it's a final and, and anything can Real happen. Real Madrid are good, so there's that. Yeah, I mean, there is that. Um, I mean, it, it's a one-off game, so anything can happen in a one-off game. But if it took this game for people to realise that there was a gap in quality between the two teams, then then people have not really been paying attention for the last couple of years. Um, so in that respect, it was... Yeah, it was almost a good test against a team whose level we are clearly nowhere near um but should be aspiring too. I mean if we are to be a force on the European stage again, um now that we've returned to the Champions League, these are the types that need to perform against. So um for a squad that is is untested as a squad at that level, it was good to to have this opportunity. Um I think there was a lack of intensity in the game because of the fact that as I mentioned earlier it was still a kind of considered something of a preseason friendly um in that respect i think if it had been a european final for example or it had been like a serious knockout game or or anything like that i wouldn't be surprised to have seen uh, real madrid turn the screw when they were on top and, and and properly put us away um and i think that probably lent itself to Mourinho's more expansive approach to the game as well but you know a simple observation it was good to see us having some moments where we played good football, where we threatened, um, where our forwards started to link well. Yeah, Antonio Valencia has just become remarkably consistent. I mean, he's always been consistent, but he spent three or four years being consistently bad and now is, is in the midst of a two-year run of being consistently good, uh, which is a turn-up for the books. Um, but yeah. That, You've ruined it now. You know that, Yeah, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what I do. Um, good. Just so we clear. Just so we clear. <laughs> but yeah, Matic is... I don't think it's taken people very long to figure out just what a shrewd signing he would be. And and don't get me wrong, would he have been my first choice? No, but he's slotted effortlessly into the side. And and in tonight's game and in his brief outing um, in the last game, he has looked like somebody who is going to come in and do precisely what he does to the level he's always done at immediately. And, and that's encouraging so yeah encouraging signs what, what do you think yeah about the same I mean I thought Matic considering that he spent the large part of uh, summer pre-season essentially training on his own in at Chelsea I think he's slotted in very well hasn't he you know he's looked confident a couple of occasions where he played some great passes you know using the ball very well very rarely gave it away read what was going on around him particularly well just great to see. Clearly a good performer. I think perhaps the only, not necessarily frustrating, but disappointing element of Matic's performance tonight was that he didn't necessarily free Pogba or Herrera in the way that perhaps we were expecting. You know, Pogba had a very difficult game. It's obviously not on Matic, but this is essentially a signing that has been given to allow our more creative uh, Midfield is a bit more freedom. You you have to but, you have you know, to make for what Matic did. Yeah, so you have to make allowances for the midfield that they're facing. Though I mean, they're facing midfield in world football, pretty much. You know, you've got Casemiro, who is a a very mobile, tenacious 
kind of shuttle bus of a midfielder who's who's just going to cover ground and, and not give anybody any space. And, and then you've got Modric and, and Tony Kroos, who I, I wouldn't have expected um, United's midfield, which is, even with the outstanding talents of Pogba, yeah, still somewhat unrealised at the highest level. So it doesn't surprise me to see that Real Madrid's midfield had their way over our midfield. They haven't got Fellaini, though. Come on. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something. He made a difference when he came on. He did. He did. I mean, that was... Uh, when Fellaini comes on, you can almost feel the scorn coming out of United fans, can't you, to a certain extent. There's no sort of outward booing at the ground or anything like that, or any stadium when he comes on, but you can just kind of hear people scoffing. But no, he actually turned the game somewhat more in our favour tonight when he came on. You know, he held up the ball quite well. He was a target. His physicality clearly did a number on Real and it unsettled them, which was, you know, that was really encouraging to see. He was a concern for them, you know, and part of the way that the the goal actually happened, you know, Lukaku's goal. And God bless that man for uh, blasting that chance over the bar after Pogba's initial header. Um, he at least got back in there just took a split second to um, calm himself and steady himself and then slotted the shot in there. But yeah, that was partly down to Fellaini's strength. You know, he won the ball back in the penalty area, passed it off to Rashford. Great shot from Matic from distance. Navas couldn't hold it, although again, I think he really could. I think he'd like to add that save back, to be honest. But yeah, great goal for Lukaku. Glad to get that for the confidence, you know. It, the, I guess in terms of... Goals in particular, the, again, one of the disconcerting elements of the night was that, again, it's just finishing. You know, this is a problem that we were talking about so often last season. And, all right, this is just the first game of the season. And I guess, as you said there, we do have to kind of treat this in the context of the fact that we are playing one of the world's very best sides. And we're not always going to be playing one of the world's very best sides week in, week out in the league. And in some terms in the Champions League too. So I guess you have to kind of look at it through that prism, if that makes sense. But again, a couple of disconcerting elements in the sense that we just struggled to finish chances. And considering that in these sort of games, I would guess Mourinho's template is going to be this sort of, you know, what, 5-4-1 out of possession and then the 3-5-2 or whatever in possession we are going to have to be a bit more deadly in order for Mourinho to really get the best out of us when we are playing the teams that he thinks can really do some damage on us, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, just to pick up on that last point, I, I don't expect us to really see three at the back too often, um, even even in possession. I, I think there will be an element of um, shapelessness about United in attack as opposed to quite a, a set formation when we defend, but... I I still feel like the the three five two or the five three two however you wanna you wanna shape it is um probably still gonna be the exception tactically speaking I I still expect us to see um four at the back more often than often than not but um just to pick up on a couple of points you made there I think Fellaini is he's a very effective bludgeon and, and uh, tonight's probably a good example of how he is best used which is by no means plan A but a very effective, at times, plan B. And and I can understand, you mentioned about scorn when, when Fellaini kind of gets brought on. And, and whilst for some people that kind of gets turned up right up to the kind of highest levels of scorn, I, I, I can understand where the frustration comes in. And I think it's probably something to do with the notion that 
at the point when Fellaini comes on, you are surrendering a certain approach to the game in in favor of another, and and it's like you by bringing on Fellaini, in a sense, you marginalize some of your better players, some of your more intricate passing, skillful players, your uh, Mkhitaryans, your Pogba, your and maybe even your Rashfords and Martials and and players like that as well, because you you kind of surrender not initiative but you surrender control an element of control when you take a more lump to the big man approach because you're playing you're playing the uh percentages and 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 the idea that if you lump it up to him enough times his physicality is probably going to create some sort of chaotic chance and 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 it is it is effective but i understand the frustration when if 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 we are seen to be going to that approach too early in people's minds and and also i guess the notion that manchester united should be aspiring to be the type of team that plays a certain way and that can beat teams a certain way and so when it works you won't hear any complaints but i think when he comes on people tend to remember the times it hasn't worked and think Oh my goodness! There's half an hour left in the game, and we're already lumping it to the big man. Um, so yeah, it's quite interesting. But I can understand it again why Mourinho does it because yeah, you're right. You know, finishing has been an issue for us. And and if, if tonight, for example, he was brought on, um, and by the time he was brought on, we had already missed a couple of of good chances. Um, oh man, that that Rashford chance. I know Fellaini was already on the pitch by that point, but that Rashford chance. I was just like, hit it with your right. Hit it with your right. <laughs> um, it was. I know he got the corner from it, but it was probably going wide anyway, right? I mean, that was my initial reaction. I, you could see it got the deflection from Navas just as it was going through, but my initial thought was, oh, he's just pulled that a little bit wide. But, you know, again, a, a tricky night for Rashford. In the first sort of five minutes or so of that first half, there were a couple of signs from United that United were looking a bit more direct on the attack, which is great because we'd really struggled with that in some elements and we hadn't really had much of a threat down the left so that was great to see but again this is sort of the folly of putting Rashford out wide isn't it you comp you, you basically take his talents and stick them to a certain area of the pitch and he is arguably one of the best dribblers we've got at the club but then you're missing out on the opportunities that he has with his pace to kind of stretch defenders if you are looking to play and pass quickly and I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping whilst I really do want to see Rashford play as much football as, you know, Mourinho deems this season, I just hope we're not going to see him confined to that wing like he was last season because it's just so he's just so much more effective through the middle. And that's one aspect that I just I hope Mourinho just doesn't keep repeating this again because I'm not necessarily sure what's what good it's going to do Rashford. We know he can dribble, we know he can be direct. You're marginalizing his talents by sticking him on the left. Which is not great, but either way, you know. I mean, I think... sure, it's it's a, it's something to hold in tension, isn't it? I mean, it's like, do you want him to play centrally but less, or would you give him any opportunity you can to give him a game? Um, I think what we've seen from Mourinho historically throughout his career is he's quite unlikely to rotate his main striker too often, which I think. Rashford then if he is to get games up front like through the center it's most likely going to be alongside Lukaku 
in certain team shapes rather than instead of and um, so he might find that he has to take his opportunities as and when they come and and it might be that he ends up doing more shifts on the left but i, I wouldn't be surprised from time to time to see Mourinho employ two front men um particularly if we're chasing a game or or yeah i mean it's the right setup rashford and akaki could actually work quite well together as long as they stay up front and you know i'm I'm confident that they're both good enough that they can link up quite well so that'd be quite interesting just uh changing subject a little bit kev victor lindelof is a guy who's had a little bit of stick this preseason what did you make of him this evening well he's he's been okay i would say okay one or two shaky moments, um, but but it's so it's so early. It really is too early to tell. I mean, you've got a, you can reel off a list of defenders, not just from Manchester United, that got off to a shaky start and and went on to be very successful for the clubs that they're in. You know, he, he's twenty two. He's it's still preseason. You could talk about acclimatizing to a new club, new teammates, new language. Or I mean, I guess he, he's quite fluent in English, so maybe that point doesn't stand. But it's new surroundings. It's a bigger challenge. It's a step up in terms of stature and expectation, even in preseason, as evidenced by the reams of people who are already appeared to be uh, giving up on him, which is quite bizarre. Um. The overriding point is it is. Well, it's only preseason unless we're actually criticizing our own players. That's the rule. Yeah, but the overriding thing is uh, it's not really about here's some excuses for how he's currently performing because it is too early to judge him definitively. It is okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's okay to say he's playing poorly, which I may disagree with at times, but and people may agree or disagree with, but you know that is an opinion. It's it's. It's the type of opinions that you see that say, okay, actually, I've seen enough of Lindelof to decide that he is not a good enough player for Manchester United, um, that those kind of opinions great because it's it's just too early. Um, I think we tend to be less patient with new arrivals at the club if we've not watched them before they've joined. Um, so we don't have any pre-existing opinions of them, so it doesn't take us long to kind of form an opinion in a pre-season echo chamber. Now, look, I didn't watch any of Victor Lindelof um, for Benfica, so I don't have a great deal, of, well, any real kind of knowledge of him to call on before he showed up to Manchester United, but logically it follows that you you cannot write a player off before he's even played a competitive game. Um, so he's looking shaky. He, it's probably just going to take him a bit of time to settle in. I would imagine that by Christmas time, we'll see a very different player. What do you think? I mean, the, the other aspect of it is that he arguably isn't playing with uh, our best defensive lineup, is he? You know, in terms of the players he was playing in the back with, Darmian and Smalling. All right, Mourinho seems to have carved out a somewhat something of a role at left back which I know you're loving uh, for Darmian uh, in terms of Smalling though I would be surprised if Chris Smalling ends up as a starting centre-back for United this season on a consistent basis you know there are just players that are better than him in our squad people just make like the whole they get this whole idea that I'm like got some sort of like I, I, like I'm a fan of Darmian I don't know where it comes from it's just it's, I, I mean it's just, it, it, I, th- I think one of those myths because... isn't it if 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 we think back to around this time two years ago after we'd just beaten Aston Villa, you declared that he was going to be one of the best right backs in Premier League history. Listen, Ewan, you we've talked about this. I am not yeah. to be accountable or held accountable for anything I say. 
Ah, right. So it's the Trump that's, strategy. Get you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, that's it. Oh, low blow, man. I think what I actually said, which may seem even more ridiculous in, in retrospect, is that the club would finally finally replace Gary Neville, which, <laughs> um, which uh, you know, in fairness, I, I wasn't wrong. Um, but we you weren't we really right either. Wasn't really right either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, no, going it's, back it's to Lindelof, though. Yeah, yeah. I think with Lindelof in particular, you look at the fact that Bailly's missing, and you know, arguably in terms of quality, Bailly is our best centre back. And I still really harbour hopes that Rocco will come back after this injury and hopefully pick up where he left off last season because he was behind Bailly our best centre back. You know, I thought he was particularly impressive all season long when he was, you know, when he was so quickly to be derided when he came into the lineup against Swansea. And had several months where he was just superb. You know, he was great in the centre of defence for us, and it was a real shame that he got injured. Um, so I guess there's that element to take into it as well. I think there's also, when looking at Lindelof, United still lack uh, a defensive leader, someone who the players can flock to, someone who is going to organise them. I don't think we've got a real leader of in the defenders that we have who are, who is going to basically keep them in shape and sort them out on a consistent basis. I, I still think we're missing that. We haven't really got any defensive leaders. Smalling showed signs of that some seasons ago, but that seems to have completely gone. And I don't feel like looking at it anyway, obviously it might be a different pit, uh, story on the pitch. I don't get the sense that you know, we have a particularly a Bidditch or a Rio-like uh, character in our team at the moment. So I think that's certainly playing a part. But, you know, again, as you said, it's far too soon to tell with Lindelof. We, you know, he's not had a great season. There's nothing wrong with saying that. But obviously it's, you know, ridiculous to write him up at this stage. So, you know, we'll we'll simply just have to see where we go from there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, just to, to pick up on what you said about Rojo, I think it, it follows that he would be a rotation option slash backup for Bailly's position in the team at, at left centre-back, most likely. And then, ideally, you have Lindelof next to him, and he's the ball-playing, passing, covering, kind of more Rio-esque, even in just in style, uh, type of defender. Um, interestingly, I think the backup to his position at right centre-back either needs to be Phil Jones or literally anybody who's not Chris Smalling. Um so it's yeah, I've got a new whipping boy now. Um but <laughs> it'll be interesting to see in time. Uh to your point about defensive leadership, I think that in time between them, uh Lindelof and because Lindelof is quite cool and composed. He he doesn't look it so far, but that is the type of player that he is. I think this is a betting in period and I think, you know, he's been um Typically speaking, if you read interviews with the kind of people that came up with him, you know, the kind of coaches and co- that coached him at Benfica, if you look at his rise to prominence within the Benfica team um, from being an out-of-favour fullback to, you know, their absolute central and most important centre-back, um, one of the things that's really talked about is his cool-headedness and his mentality and his, I guess, unflappability, which is, which is for me, why we shouldn't be too concerned about his form just yet because it is out of character rather than he's that kind of rash player that does those kind of things. I think it's it's a player who's not yet comfortable in his surroundings, so I expect that to follow in time. You combine that with the more robust, direct, aggressive repro- approach of, of Bailly, but 
take into account that he too is not particularly rash. I think between the pair of them um, and having somebody like Matic ahead of them, um, I think that probably actually gives you a bit of an insight into why Matic was signed. But also I think between them, they're, they're, there's enough cool heads there to, to look after that section of the team. And, and we certainly, on paper at least, seem to be a lot stronger there than we were this time last year. Hmm. Which is good, I'd say, <laughs> considering uh, how this summer's gone. But yeah, um, let's have a look forward to... Well, I mean, I guess there's not too much to drag away from the Super Cup, really, is there, Kev? Uh, Real Madrid, good. United, all right, but not that fantastic. Is that a fair summation? Yeah, I think so. As I said, you know, I, I think it would have been a massive upset for us to take anything away from it. Yeah, and you just kind of go, hey, there's some signs of life. There's some positives. I thought Mkhitaryan had a couple of really bright moments. Rashford looked bright, if slightly isolated, and you know Lukaku scored. That's good. Yeah, I think I think it's that game you look back at and go, ah, m- moments to be positive about, um, but a result that was probably to be expected. So can't really take too much away from it. So how do you feel? How well do you feel United are now set up for uh, the Premier League season, which starts uh, in five days' time, at home to uh, West Ham? it's hard to say. I know, I was thinking about this one earlier on and I just found myself thinking, how positive do I feel about this? And I'm still not sure. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if we brought one more player in, whether that's we finally push the boat out for Perisic or whether it's somebody that, I, I nearly said left of field, but, you know, being that Perisic is a left midfielder, that... Yeah, um, but somebody right. uh, a left field a, a left of field candidate that um, is somebody unexpected or or like an opportunity arises for a certain quality of player or or who knows, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was another player to come in. Um, I can't imagine it being another defensive or midfield addition at this point. So you have to feel that if another player is brought in it's most likely going to be somebody to strengthen the second line of attack be that left wing right wing or number 10 and um, we've got a number of players that can play all across those three positions but no real out and out wingers so i would have thought um that particularly on the left wing we might look to strengthen um you know, uh, Tony Valencia from right back can provide a lot of width and a lot of cutting down to the byline and getting crosses in from the right-hand side. Um, in the absence of Luke Shaw, we don't really have anybody to do that from the left. And what you end up seeing is is McTarion cutting in from the right, Martial or Rashford uh, uh, cutting in from the left, and you end up with a very kind of crowded uh, center of the park just in front of the opponent's box so it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all to see Mourinho try and get somebody in that's going to be able to whip in balls on their left foot to Lukaku um, so I think that kind of an addition needs to come in for me to say okay now I'm ready to get excited I mean I am already excited at the possibilities of this season I think we will be improved on last year I expect I expect to see more out of our attacking players than we saw this time last year I think Lukaku will uh, Lukaku and his movement and what hold up play he does provide um, if not quite in the same way as Ibrahimovic did I think that will free up particularly with his movement um, should mean that 
our other attackers thrive a little more. Um, I expect Pogba to kick on, you know, more settled in his second season. I expect Matic to allow us to be a little bit more free going forward. And, and I expect all of the things to improve in that way. Um, but I think for me, it's still missing that one final signing to say, okay, I think we're actually, not only are we potentially going to be improved from last year, but we have more options in terms of ways and types of attackers and, and ways to win. Does that make sense? No, no, that, that makes complete sense. Very, very articulately done too. I completely agree with it. Makes a change. It, 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 no, <laughs> what are you talking about? We're, we're fairly agreeable people. No, I, I, I think it's... I was I talking agree. about me being eloquent. Oh, I see. Oh, there we go. Well, never mind. Maybe that's just me being guilty. Um, I think it does feel like we are perhaps one signing short of being able to say, yes, we are absolutely 100% unequivocally going to challenge for the Premier League title this season. I'm not sure I have absolute faith in our ability to do that for a full stretch of a season because it's been so long since we've been able to do that. You know, our title challenges, I think the, the longest one we had was, what, Van Hal's second season when we lasted up until about early December and that was pretty much it. You know, it, it's it's been so long since we've been able to actually string together a long enough uh, sequence of good results to actually be up there at the top and in with the say of where the title may go so and I'm still not 100% sure that Mourinho has got exactly what he needs to be able to play a more expansive and threatening brand of football you know I, I think we are a signing short of being able to do that and I think that he does have enough players that he can trust and I think there is enough quality in the team but I think it's how it's utilized that's really causing the the issue in my mind where I just don't think we'll quite have enough with what we have because if you look at the likes of Martial and Mkhitaryan we know they're very big quality players you know, they're great you know we we saw firsthand in Martial's first year just how good he can be I'm not convinced that Mourinho can get him back to that level and perhaps kick him on and Mkhitaryan to me whilst we know we can be a great player and he proved that at Borussia Dortmund and in stages last season I'm still not convinced about him consistently delivering the goods for Mourinho yet anyway so it's aspects like this where I just think all right well we know these players are good but can Mourinho get the most out of them has he got a spine that he completely trusts does he have everything at his disposal that he can be flexible in his tactical approach that he can rotate healthily and not you know push our best players to the limit and overuse them which I do think he was guilty of a couple times last season has he got everything he needs to feel comfortable to let United loose a little bit more because especially in the second half of last season it was just so difficult to watch because we were so slow and plodding (laughs) it was very very tough and the second part of the season was frequently hard going as a result and you would hope with the players that we brought in, with Lindelof, with Matic and with Lukaku, he has been able to plug some gaps and accent what he's already got. But there's still a big question mark in my mind at this moment in time as to whether or not he feels he has exactly what he needs to make a proper sustained run at the Premier League title. And to be honest, considering how much he's been moaning about not quite getting what he wants in the transfer market, hoping for that one more signing, I'm pretty sure he doesn't. Yeah, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. I, I, I've been hanging my my hopes on the notion that the arrival of Lindelof to provide a calming influence on the defence and, and be a ball-playing defender, combined with the arrival of Matic, means that Mourinho will have a solid enough defensive base um, to 
you know release a little bit more in attack um and you know uh, we're kind of covering ground we've already talked about but i do believe that lukaku's mobility will mean that we have a better chance of getting some more out of the attackers we already have but it is quite interesting we've got i think we've got a lot of clever attackers um but yeah, you know, we, we are lacking, we've no real wingers in the squad at all, and I'm I'm not saying, you know, you, you must have wingers in order to be successful, but it feels like we don't have that option, and um, last season a lot you had, you know, a very good, high quality professional striker, um, who did miss a lot of chances, but was also scored a lot of goals, um, but who wasn't very mobile, was quite physically dominant, but wasn't very mobile, and either side of him you had attacking midfielders that wanted to cut inside all the time cut inside cut inside so it became very narrow it became very um yeah just very frustrated and very very just kind of very little room to actually do anything and and yeah it almost felt like we'd never quite got the hang of breaking on teams either and and, and that was also to do with not really having the kind of players that equipped us to to play at that kind of breakneck speed that you need to, um. But hopefully, we will see improvement from the players that we already have. I think, I think Mkhitaryan, if if you can read anything into preseason, I think Mkhitaryan looks set to kick on this year. I certainly hope so. Um, Martial, I think, has had a good preseason as well. I think his talent is is clear for all to see, but I actually kind of have questions about whether. Mourinho will give him the chances to I think in order for a player like Martial to thrive and and prosper he needs to be given the opportunity to start on the left consistently and play himself into form and be given the manager's trust and and be told go and play your game Um, I think the manager's tendency to play Lingard in certain games and his obvious preference for Rashford out there over Martial means that might be another kind of stop start season for uh, the Frenchman and, and he might just struggle. Whereas Mictarian, I actually not only do I feel like his form has improved and looks to be improving sufficiently that he looks ready to kick on, but he has no real real kind of competition out on that right side, I would say, as yet. Um and as good as Mata can be I would say that Mkhitaryan is probably a more mobile, goal-scoring, probably just, at this point, better version of Mata. Um, so, and, and he seems like, as much as anyone in our second line of attack has, to have the ability to make himself absolutely key to the link between our midfield and attack but I think if, if Pogba plays well if Lukaku plays well and if Matic plays well if if the spine is strong Mourinho teams tend to do well so it'll be interesting to see sure yeah I think that sums it up quite nicely and I guess again thinking because there were certain elements of this evening that were that disappointed it's again worth reminding ourselves of the caliber of the teams that we're going to be playing and we're not going to be playing Real Madrid week in week out so, and there were enough encouraging signs to suggest that United have got some things worked out and can provide some sort of challenge this season. I'm just not sure how long it will last. I mean, we should, well, we have to do better than sixth, right? You, should, you, you would hope that United end up in the top three, are, you know, get out of the Champions League group stages and then some find of some kind of progress in one of the cup competitions. So we'll see. But 
it does feel like we are primed to progress from what was a very, very frustrating domestic campaign, which absolutely has to be the minimum goal that we end up in you know, the top three or even top two this season because sixth place was absolutely nowhere last year. You know, the campaign got away from us very quickly. We were out of the title race very early on and we struggled so much with the Europa League that the league was subsequently affected. And I don't necessarily think United have got that excuse again this year. They have to, if they're good enough, be challenging on as many fronts as possible. You know, it's not necessarily an excuse that really will wash this year. You know, things are set up even better than they were last year for Mourinho and United to kick on. And, you know, whether or not Mourinho gets the players that he wants, I am minded to, you know, obviously, I don't want to sound like I'm not minded to give Mourinho time and everything, but... I'm just a bit concerned that Mourinho's approach to this doesn't necessarily scream positivity to me. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't necessarily seem to be someone exuding the aura of a man who is hell-bent on delivering the Premier League title and thinks he's got everything at his disposal in order to deliver that. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. You know, I'm very much looking forward to the season starting off against West Ham. And looking at our fixtures, we've got a relatively straightforward run, you know, well, you know to us anyway, for the first couple of months. Yeah, West Ham. So our first few games, I've got the fixtures in front of me here. Oh, uh, good. West Ham, West Ham at home, Swansea away, Leicester at home, Stoke away, Everton at home, Southampton away, uh, Palace at home, and then so it's the fourteenth of October. Liverpool at Anfield is the first recognizable rival for the top four game that we have, which means that we have the potential to with the other teams if we've got any designs on the top four i mean it's not to say oh well we need to win all these games but we have the start that we should look at it and say if we want to challenge for the title this year this these first five or six games give us the potential to get off to a really strong start um west ham at home you'd hope that we beat them you know you look at all these teams and say on paper i mean if we've got any kind of ideas in our head that we're going to put on any sort of title challenge these are the teams the bread and butter games that we need to be winning so um it'll be quite interesting to see where we are by the time we face liverpool in october and see if any of this kind of uh potential actually transforms into into any kind of reasonable run i mean we got off to a very good start last year but very quickly failed to sustain it um but it will certainly be interesting. It's quite interesting, actually. You talked earlier on about the second half of last season. And I think one of the reasons that we ended up playing quite a reductive, simplistic percentages game, um, uh, in particularly the final third of the season, I think it was just because we were all knackered as well. All, all the team was, was tired. But no, you looked at a lot of our key players, the kind of players we would be looking to to win games for us played so many games because we didn't have quality and depth and and whilst I think we've addressed a couple of key areas in the team I, I still don't think we've got quality and depth so either we need to see more kind of prioritization from Mourinho and saying okay I'm going to focus on the league and the Champions League and the cups are going to get the kids and and the absolute squad players um which I can understand why he didn't take that approach last year because he was like, I'm not going to win the league this year, but I need to get some silverware to get this club back into a culture of winning. Um, I think he would be justified, given the current squad depth, in prioritising 
by a country mile the Champions League and the um you know a good run in the Champions League and and getting as far up the league as we possibly could so I would have no issues with him playing all of our reserves and young players in in the cup games um and and in an ideal world they they progress some and get some experience but we're not tiring out the first team squad and and jeopardizing our final league position or our Champions League hopes based on you know Lukaku starting a third round game against Barnet in the FA Cup you know that kind of thing yeah sounds about right I think looking forward now to the players that we actually do have at our disposal it'll be interesting to see what Mourinho does with the entire squad you know he's let Timothy Fossumen to go out on loan to Palace uh, yesterday I what think do you think was. of that um, I mean I would rather have a player like Fossi Mensa around, but if Mourinho doesn't see where he would fit into his plans this season, I think it makes absolute sense for him to send him out on loan. You know, Rich said this a couple of times last season. Fossi Mensa lost last year essentially because he was sat around waiting to get into the team and it never happened. And then when he did get into the team, he got injured. So it was a wasted year essentially for him. And we know from watching him under Van Hal that there is more than enough there to craft and hone into a really really great player whether that is a center back or a right back or a midfielder you know he could play anywhere he has got the raw attributes and talent to play in any of those positions if he wanted to and it is just now a case of playing games isn't it Kev you know once he gets games consistently we'll see how he develops you know the Telegraph were reporting that Mourinho sees Foster Mensah as a long-term replacement for Valencia but he wants him to go out and play that won't happen this season so it makes sense for him to go yeah I mean um saw similar points being made but I don't know if you follow Chris Winterburn on Twitter he, he, he's a staff writer for Marca but he he also just comments on a lot of stuff that goes on in the English game but he talked about the purpose of this loan for um for Fosu Mensa and and where it was in terms of Mourinho's three-year plan for the player so the idea that he would be around the first team last season being accustomed to the players, being accustomed to the training, being accustomed to the environment and and the club and and training at the highest level in the club with the best players in the team. And then, so that's season one. Season two is go and play for a team in the league that you're going to be playing in, so in the Premier League, and go to a team where you can play as many games as possible to get you all the game experience at that level. And then when you come back in your third year, of this three-year plan, you have, you're not daunted by the prospect of, of returning to your club and training with the first team because it's it's something that you've already got experience of. You're not daunted by the notion of playing in the Premier League because it's something that you've already got experience of. Therefore, you are it's sounding a lot like the three-year underpants plan from South Park. This, <laughs> but well, I, I I don't get that reference. But um, the notion is that this will perfectly equip him to come back and slot into the squad and have an actual decisive role to play from next year onwards, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that that's what I hope to see anyway. And it'd be interesting to see what uh, how Andreas Pereira slots into it. He didn't even make the matchday squad today, which I kind of understand. You know, he's gone for the more experienced heads uh, on the bench this afternoon. Sorry, this evening, Mourinho. So uh, Pereira's been kept around after, you know, a lot of... there's a very 
positive narrative around him now after that year at Granada, which is interesting because you know the, the team went down, but he was seen as the brightest uh, spark in it. You know, he was regarded as having a very very successful season despite the fact that he, you know, <laughs> Granada were relegated. So I really hope that we'll see a bit more of Pereira this season, and you know, there's a chance for him to really break into the team now. And you know, uh, Cameron. Uh, Borthwick Jackson's gone on on uh, on Rome on loan to Leeds, <laughs> and uh, Twanzebe has been kept around. Axel Twanzebe, so that'll be interesting to see how he's utilised. And again, you know, it will be interesting to see how Mourinho uses his players up front and in the number ten because there's two issues that we did have last season that won't be the case for at least half of the season, depending on whether or not we'd re-sign a certain large Swede. For a start, Zlatan won't start every game, and there's no Rooney. So there's two aspects of how Mourinho picked his teams, at least for the first couple of months in Rooney's uh, manner, because, you know, after that Watford game, he was essentially consigned to the bench for most of the Premier League games. And for Zlatan, he was a, a starter pretty much all season long up until he got the injury against Anderlecht. So those taking those aspects out of the equation, at least until December, because I still feel there's a good chance that Ibrahimovic is going to re-sign for the second half of the season it will be interesting to see how Mourinho judges it because in terms of the games that we have coming up, United do need to make a strong show in the Champions League to me, right? You know, it's been so long since uh, we've really done anything of note in that competition and I'm pretty sure Mourinho will be realistic but it'll be itching to really make a mark on it. How far that will take us this year, I've no idea but I think he'll be very, very keen to try and put United back on the map and take us as far as possible in that competition. And that is going to mean, you know, some sort of sacrifices in terms of trying to play that best 11 and trying to use Lukaku as that dominant striker, you know, game in, game out. So that'll be interesting to see. But yeah, I mean, I think on the whole, it's difficult to say or to judge from this discussion we've had here that we are 100% positive that we're going to be in with a shout at the title come May. But there's definitely positivity. Is that fair enough? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I what I really want to see from the team is, and from Mourinho, if I'm honest, is I want to see him... Uh, don't get me wrong, the players in question all have a responsibility for their performance and that needs to improve. But there are certain key players that I want to see Mourinho get more from. Uh, one of them is Martial, another one is Mkhitaryan, another one is Rashford, to be fair. And... I would very much like to see him, once Luke Shaw is fit again, um, take a chance on him. And and inst- I mean the the word the the general narrative floating around about Luke Shaw now is that Mourinho has been impressed with, uh, the player's reaction to some of the concerns that he held about him, and and believes that, um, he has shown the spirit and the determination, whatever he was looking for him to show he has now shown from a mental point of view. So when Luke Shaw is fit again, he will be given the chance to prove he can do it on the pitch for United. So I hope that Mourinho follows through on that and and perseveres with him and and really gives him the opportunity to make that left side his own because why wouldn't you, looking at our alternatives? I mean, I know I am like (laughs) the last protector of the realm of Darmian, but like it's... It's just you wildly swinging an axe around to anyone that comes anywhere near you. It's just me screaming at trees, isn't it? But um, it's... (laughs) But, I mean, it doesn't... Even I wouldn't tell you that Darmian is our best left-back option for obvious reasons, you know, and and whilst Daily Blind can be a very, very capable stand-in in a number of different positions, 
Luke Shaw is the outstanding candidate based on pure ability for that position. So I would like to see him... I would like to see Mourinho start to get more out of our more introverted, less bullish players. Luke Shaw, Mkhitaryan, Martial. Um, I would also like to see them kind of grab the bull by the horns and, and take on some of the challenges that he set down for them and, and show them that show him that they can be the kind of player that he wants them to be. Um, but I would like to see them both in both areas. I would like to see improvement. And I would like to, I think it's just as important as it is for us to sign the right types of players. Um, I think performances from the players that we already have needs to improve. And it's going to be fascinating to see how that all plays out. Sure. I mean, I think one key aspect is the home form in particular in the league has just got to improve, hasn't it? You know, it's taking those... 10 draws? was it? 11 draws? 10 draws at home in the league and turning at least half of those into victories. You know, at least half of them because it was just ridiculous last season. It was so dispiriting so frequently and it was just a repetitive pattern that we just never got rid of and that is a big uh that's a big task Mourinho that's something that he's got to he's really got to try and work on to resolve and we've got to stop being so we've just got to stop throwing games away at home you know I'll be interested to see how that develops going forward um but yeah beyond that I don't think we've got too much to chat about uh apart from going on to Twitter questions Kev are you prepared yes Great. Andrew Dayton asks, question for the podcast, exactly how many light years are Manchester United behind Real? (laughs) Five? How long is a light year anyway? I should know this. I'm a complete geek, but I don't know. It's quite hard to answer at this point. I think we'll know by the end of the season where United's level is. It's it's hard to know where it is right now because it's it's quite a fluid concept. Um, One would hope that it is. One would hope that it is in we are better than we were last season, but you'd have to be quite the optimist to think that we are anywhere near Real Madrid's level at the moment so mm-hmm. um, I, what I, for me uh, let me answer it like this for me what would represent um, a season that satisfies my expectation of where we should be with the with uh, of what we should be aiming for would be to be involved in the title race for even the first three quarters of the season settled comfortably in the top four um, by the end of the season and to get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League um, if we can tack a trophy in there somewhere amazing if we go beyond that even more amazing but for me that would that would represent significant progress in re-establishing United at the top ends of the game yeah yeah I mean I think the the, the talk is often about Mourinho's second season that a club always bring in the lead title and I'm not so sure that's what we're going to see this season so I guess perhaps you could put pause on that maybe for another year and hope that he doesn't explode in the interim <laughs> but we'll have to see uh, Dave Gargan asks uh, with, will United have a cross set piece beat the first man ever again I mean Nanny doesn't play for us anymore so I think we're at least 50% more likely to do that at some stage uh, I don't know how do you answer a question like that it just doesn't seem to be a particular strength but I'm just upset about thinking about Nanny now to be honest mate I'm not going to lie <laughs> hated watching that man play corners I despised it anyway oh mate uh, last one Carl Robinson asks uh, how good has Matic been tonight come and me impressed yeah I mean I th- we've, we've covered um, the boy uh, Nemanja in some quite good uh, context this evening in some quite good detail I think 
it wasn't a signing that was universally lapped up by United fans. Certainly not for the ones that I've seen uh, responding to the transfer anyway. But I think it could come across as a very, very shrewd signing by Mourinho. I think that, you know, just look at it in the sense that it clearly seems to have wound up Antonio Conte and look at the fact that, you know, he and Chelsea seem to be, despite, you know, on paper, everything being pretty good, you know, in the sense that they've replaced a once-away striker in Diego Costa with Alvaro Morata and they've got Bakayoko in from Monaco with Matic leaving the team. They still look set up to have a damn good season, but the whole narrative around them seems to be quite negative and United have contributed to that by, you know, if you go with the narrative, nicking Lukaku out from under their noses and signing Matic on the relative cheap. So, yeah, um, in terms of his signing in general, we needed a player like him who was going to potentially unleash the likes of Pogba and Herrera and allow us to do more. And we needed more bodies in midfield. You know, Carrick isn't going to play anywhere near the amount of games that he did last season. Fellaini is an option, but I don't think should be a consistent starter. So we absolutely needed another play. You know, you can't just chuck Pereira in there and alongside Pogba and Herrera and hope for the best and try and make a midfield tree out of that. So yeah, um, and I thought tonight he showed exactly why United bought him. I think he's got some great attributes. It was nice to see someone actually driving with the ball out of midfield and using the ball well. He's clearly got an eye for a good pass and he uses the ball efficiently. So, you know, in that sense, what more could you ask for? Yeah, I mean, I think the one of the most prevalent and repeated questions on Twitter when uh, his signing was looking likely was why are we signing a 29-year-old Matic when we could be signing X? And I had preferences over who we might sign as well. Um, My main observation around it now is I don't think anybody's asking those questions anymore. And the few that are still asking why have we signed him, I I don't think they're going to be asking it for long. Because whilst we may say, okay, well, Matic has a ceiling uh, and this player over here who I would prefer we signed has boundless potential etc um I think it's already abundantly clear the role uh that he will play in this team and it to me it makes perfect sense already that he was signed just from seeing how he performs and the role he plays in this team just uh before we finish it's some a couple of questions that were burning on my mind that I'd like to get your thoughts on um first one um what would be a successful season for you? And then I think we should finish with us predicting our top four, just so people can remember it at the end of the season when it's very wrong and make fun of us. For and it. hold it against us. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, I thought you were going that way with that. Uh, in terms of a <laughs> successful season, I mean, my personal aspirations for United are that any time we're in the Champions League, I want us to win it. It is my favourite competition of anything. You know, I love watching United play in Champions League. There's a a stature to it that I just absolutely adore when it comes to us playing in that competition. So, but I've got to be realistic in that sense. As long as we can at least get through to say the quarterfinals, you would almost say, considering how much we've struggled in that competition and considering that we haven't been in the final since 2011, you would say that would probably be a successful season considering that we are not necessarily at the level that you would suggest that a team would need to be to win it. In terms of the league, if it's going to be successful, I guess you've got to say it's got to be a title charge that lasts for almost the entirety of the season. You know, we've been so sure of that for so long. And in terms of, I'm not, that's not necessarily to say that it wouldn't be acceptable if we dropped off 
a little bit sooner, say sort of April, late April time or whatever. But it's mostly what would be classified as successful. And to me, United have to be challenging this season. You know, there's just no two ways about it if we're going to describe a season as successful because the stakes are high now. You know, we have Champions League football back. That's what Mourinho wanted. That's what he's gotten. He's gotten some of the players that he wanted in. And we are now primed for a big season domestically and on the continent. And it's up to the team to deliver. You know, in terms of success, it has got to be looked at that we need to be challenging for the league, for me. Uh, in terms of top four, oh, geez. Um, I'm going to go with City, United, Spurs and Chelsea. What about you? Your top four. I think we're both surrendering our, surrendering our right to run a Manchester United podcast because I'm going to agree with you and say I think it's most... If City have got anything about them with the players that they've brought in um, and the strength of their attack and if Pep Guardiola is has half of the quality that his reputation and record suggests he does, um, they should be by far and away the strongest contenders for the... the the league this year um i think if we can keep touch with the top uh, for me what i want to see and, and i think because we don't have the plan b to get back into the champions league next year of winning well <laughs> unless something goes wrong and hopefully it won't we won't have the whole getting into the champions league through the back door winning the europa league kind of approach which means that we need to kind of strengthen our position in the top four from day one so i i would like to see a rem- like a, a really strong run early and, and that we would not be trying to make up lost ground from quite early on in the season I mean I would sooner see us burn really brightly for the first three quarters of the season and, and fade away and, and, and settle into a comfortable top four place even if we're not involved in the last parts of the title conversation rather than us be inconsistent and then have to put on an amazing run to secure top four at the end of the season you know um but i'm overthinking it slightly let me go back to the actual question um i think it will be city and then second and third will be some combination of united and chelsea and then tottenham fourth Sounds about right. So we've got pretty similar opinions on that one. That's fine. And I'm glad we're all also agreeing that Arsenal attempting to prioritise the Premier League is basically going to result in them finishing outside the top four of the Premier League again. Oh, hilarity ensues. Yeah, well, it's always fun when that sort of stuff falls apart. I'm not going to lie. Anyway, Kev, we'll leave it there for the night. Thanks very much for your company, as always. What a wonderful start to the season. No worries, bro. Right, guys, thank you very much for listening yourselves. It's been great to be back with you this evening. Uh, don't forget if you want to get any more of us during the week you can always go to redvoices.net to our website there's a donate page on that site if you want to chuck a couple of quid or wait out with running costs of the site that is always very much appreciated or if you just want to go onto twitter we're at, at redvoicesmufc uh, Kel will be back with you after our game against West Ham on Sunday evening have yourselves a wonderful week until then Good night and goodbye